Welcome to Open Matters, an interview series designed to explore the intersection of open source and open standards with folks in our industry. I'm your host, Guy Martin, the Executive Director of Oasis Open. In today's discussion, we're going to cover building a hybrid standards development and open source consortium. It's been quite a hot topic, both for what we are trying to do here at Oasis and also for many public and private sector organizations, especially in Europe. So public sector and government organizations have traditionally favored standards, but they're increasingly looking to open source to help them lead digital innovation for citizens. And they rely on consortiums and other industry groups to help them work effectively with diverse vendors, as well as the standards and open source communities. We'll talk today about why and how you can build support for a converged open standards and open source ecosystem. Joining me today is Chris Ferris, IBM CTO of Open Technology and an IBM Fellow. And in addition to serving on the OASIS Open Projects Advisory Council, Chris has a long history in open source in areas such as web standards and blockchain. He's also been around the block a time or two in the standards field. In short, we think he's the perfect person to give his perspective on why open source and open standards should be working together. Thanks for being on the show, Chris. Yeah, my pleasure. Great. So real quick before we get going, uh, some quick <clears throat> housekeeping items. Uh, questions will be held till the end and attendees may raise their hand to ask their question live or to insert a question into the Q&A box. And a quick reminder for everyone that this session is being recorded for later playback. So with that out of the way, let's get started. Chris, what is your view of a hybrid standards definition and open source organization? And why do you think so many organizations are trying to do this? So, I think, in, you know, again, one of the, if you will, the dings against uh, open standards is that they take so long to develop. Um, <clears throat> you know, you have, uh, I, I think, you know, I may have worked, I worked with Paul Cotton from Microsoft and co-chairing the WS Policy Working Group at W3C back in the day when we were doing web services standards. And uh, we actually had a, you know, we had an input specification it didn't change all that much, but it took us 18 months to get it fully ratified as a W3C recommendation. Um, and then you start rolling out the implementations and, and you have to hammer away at the interoperability and so forth. So, you know, you're really talking a couple of years before you really have in the market, you have interoperable implementations of uh, the, uh, the new standard. And... <clears throat> You know, at the rate and pace of innovation increasingly, especially in the cloud era, um, you know, we're starting to see, you know, cycles of six months where there's a new innovation coming on board. And we don't really have the, the luxury of waiting a couple of years for such a standard before it starts getting implemented uh, and, and adopted by industry. And so I think what people started to do is to look at open source as an effective um, uh, substitute, if you will, for a formally recognized and, and uh, you know, engineered and adopted uh, either industry or, in, 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 or international standard. Um, uh, but again, that's not enough, right? As you, as you mentioned, especially in like Europe and in Asia um, and with some governments, they, they, they rely on and they have, uh, you know, uh, in their code, they have requirements for um, adoption of standards. Um, <clears throat> and so, you know, what I think people are looking at is, can we, you know, can we get to this sort of happy medium where we're doing open source development practices, 
but then taking the output of that as a, you know, here's a formal snapshot of the implementation of something, let's say, you know, like Kubernetes, taking the APIs and formalizing those as a standard, right? right. Um, and, and working that up through the, the pause submitter status that I know Oasis and uh, Linux Foundation and other organizations, Eclipse, have now with the formal de jure standards bodies. So we move past just having a de facto standard in the market um, and we can actually establish a de jure standard in, uh, in, you know, but with less time between the actual thought process of, you know, I wanna get a standard for X and, and actually delivering it to the market. Right, right. And for those that may not know, Digiray standards are basically standards built with collaborative uh, processes and collaborative uh, 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 consortiums like Oasis and others, whereas de facto or things like Microsoft Office or things that may have just been, been uh, you know, become right, a standard yeah. through wide, wide adopted use. Yeah. You know, so, and you just mentioned, you said that, you know, formal Digiray standards by a lot of people in the in the open source world, I think, especially are, are sometimes viewed as uh, an impediment because, the, like you said, the innovation takes so long and and these things hold sway for years over the technology base, which kind of gets to the interoperability piece, which we, we're going to cover in a sec. But um, and you sort of you sort of mentioned this, but can you dig a little deeper on how you think this kind of an effective DAP of open source may potentially help fix that or kind of get us to that happy medium you talked about? So I think, you know, again, if you think about the sort of the process for developing a standard, it typically involves developing a, a specification in prose, whether it's English or some other, you know, language, and sometimes with more formal uh, type languages. Um, and so the discussion is very sort of uh, intellectual. I mean, it's just it's just thought process, right? So I, I think this will work, you know. And and you put it, you write it down on paper, and you hope that everybody interprets it the same way and implements it cons uh, consistently. Um, but you can also find that you know, after a time, you know, we start doing you know sort of early implementations of the standard, we find oh well, the performance isn't really that great. And so we have to go through and we have to tweak it again. And so, you know, you go through these iterative cycles of that um, and that can take time, right? You know, and, and like I said, I mean, I think, you know, like I said, I think Paul and I set the record within 18 months, you know, from, you know, from back of a napkin to, to published, you know, W3C recommendation, um, you know, other standards like the ones we developed in Oasis, like WS Reliable Messaging and, and various other of the WS, uh, you know, standards uh, took even longer, right, to, to get. And, and as a result, you know, when you think about it, the, the whole web services sort of, uh, <laughs> the, the, the web services industry basically collapsed and was replaced with JSON and REST, right? <laughs> which exactly. you know, none of them were standards, but everybody just got fed up waiting around for, right. you know, for the, for the ink to dry on the WS specs. And, and as a result, you know, they're not as relevant this you know today as as uh, as the rest and, and Jason and so forth. So um, <clears throat> you know again, I think you know you 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 got it right. But I think what we want to do is get to the point where the process of developing a standard is following the sort of open source uh, processes with you know constant implementation. So we're essentially building the standard alongside any writing you know any any prose development of a specification. 
Um, or you could even start with, let's just do some development, get something working, and then our, you know, then we can define what's, what is that API um, right, right. and codify that, and then send that up the, you know, the, through the process of becoming a standard. Um, we don't have to wait around for everybody to agree on the English prose that represents what that API is. We can actually formalize it in a, um, you know, in an open API document, for instance. Um, right, right. And, I mean, and so yeah. those, those are the types of things I think that we need to be looking at as we go forward. And we're trying to develop interoperability protocols, especially that we, we, we take it from an implementation and create a standard out of that. But it's a standard that everybody can use immediately. So, you know, the other thing is in the past, we would write these paper specifications, if you will, and everybody went off and implemented their own flavor, right? And they were all bespoke implementations, you know, in somebody's development uh, shop. Um, and then you bring it out to market and you hope and pray that it does interoperate with everybody else, right? Whereas with open source, you're all starting from essentially reference implementation. Others are free to implement differently if they want, but at least everybody has the opportunity to immediately embrace and adopt that open source implementation uh, and bring it to market. And so again, it, it, it speeds up the, the innovation process and the ability to get that innovation into the market. Right. Do you think it hurts the the interoperability in the long term, though? I mean, I know that that the the need for a TCK, you know, you mentioned these bespoke implementations, but the need for a TCK to make sure that you know after you've gotten to the point where you've gotten the API and you've used that as the bones of the standard, um, where where do you think interop? Because I know that the a lot of people in the open standards, very traditional open standards community, may give the argument of it's great that we're doing all this iterative process, but what, you know, whether the, the interop, the long-term interoperability, which is kind of where standards has made its name. Yeah. So that's, I think that's an interesting question. And I do think that that does tend to come out of the open source as well, even if it's not intending to become a formal standard um, because there, you know, you, you have the iterative process. And so, you know, you can have projects that, you know, issue new releases on, you know, either a, quarterly basis or even more frequently potentially. Um, and, and so the, the APIs and so forth can, can evolve over time. And then there's a question of, well, what about forwards and backwards compatibility and so forth. And eventually, in, especially in more mature uh, projects, you know, like Kubernetes or like OpenStack for instance, or like Hyperledger Fabric, then you know, there, there comes a time when the, the community basically says, well, we need to have some sort of a certification process so that we can assure that people that are going to market with these APIs are going to, to market with something that is uh, consistent uh, and as, as well and, and does provide that you know, sort of forward and backward interoperability. So, so I think, again, more mature projects tend to, to operate in that way. And that actually could become you know, the thing that gets standardized is the, are, you know, are those uh, you know, the certification test suites that, 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 they, that they publish. Um, <clears throat> I, again, it's it's going to depend on the maturity of the communities that you know we're we're engaged with. But you know, I know that you know, for instance, the open projects that's that's their goal, right? So they're I think they're they're working with the right sort of mindset of right, right. we recognize that we want to get to interoperability. We're going to have to produce something as a standard, but you know, with an open you know implementation um, that we can send up and that is going to have some long lasting effect in the market. Right. Yeah. I mean, at baseline, uh, the open project we have baselines yeah. is doing a great, great job of that, right. Taking their API, using that again as the bones of the standard, like you talked about. Right. Um, 
So, I mean, it's interesting. You, you covered a little bit there, sort of perceptions from maybe from both sides. And, and you know, some, I, I think when I see this, I see a lot of perceptions and a lot of things being thrown back and forth kind of between the standards community and the open source community and looking at each other, maybe with a little bit of wary eyes. What challenges do you think are the biggest ones in, in finding a way to merge or, or provide these cooperation points between the communities? I mean, some people say it's IPR, some people say it's culture. You mentioned pace. Um, others, you know, kind of where do we start beginning to find these, these cooperation points? That's a good question. Um, I think, <clears throat> you know, certainly the, the market itself is sort of looking for the stability that they want to see the innovation and, and so forth, you know, but they also want stability. Um, and I, you know, it, it is interesting, um, you know, there's, I think in many open source communities, there's some expectation, oh, everybody's keeping up with the latest release of XYZ, right? And, you know, uh, and then, you know, I actually, I was just recently going through a situation where, you know, some Python that I code that I had that I was using all the time, but it was written to two point something, right? You know, that's deprecated now. And I was like, oh, I got to bring it all up to, you know, 3.0. So, you know, it is an effort sometimes to, you know, to move beyond, you know, something that you had that was stable um, and, and to sort of keep up with Joneses. I think that industry is generally going to be looking for that stability. And I think that'll come from the ability to, again, to, to, elevate something beyond just a, an open source implementation, but that is also treated as an international standard um, so that we can say we want some stability on that particular implementation uh, and that set of interfaces and that that can be something long term um, that 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 the uh, enterprises that adopt it can 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 hope to rely on. Right. So so you I think you're saying it, it's almost a customer driven perspective yeah. here that that you believe um, can sort of, I don't want to say force, but coerce or, you know, nudge vendors in the right direction. Influence. Yeah, it'll that's influence, idea, yeah. yes, right, yeah. No, that's, that's great. I mean, and that, I think that's what we're all hoping, you know, those of us in this space. And, you know, there's been a lot written about this and, and a lot of us participated in the Open Forum Europe Lounge series recently, where this was, again, a very, very hot topic. So, mm. you know, thanks for coming on because this is, is very germane to what's going on right now. Um, what concrete steps do you think in industry consortia like um, Oasis and others can take to, to help move this forward? So, you know, you mentioned sort of a um, perspective of, of customers driving this, but what do we in kind of the industry consortia or the neutral bodies, what can we do to help move this forward? Um, I think that's a, I, so one, one thing would be to, to be engaged in, in sort of the open source community. And now again, Oasis is, you know, they've got the open projects that have been, um, oh my goodness, it's, it's, are we coming up on two years or is it, is it two years? Yeah, two years. So it was about, about yeah, two years. Of course, exactly. last year was, we're just all trying to forget it, right? Yeah, we're just trying to forget last year if we can, if we can. <laughs> But, um, you know, and, and, but to be engaged in, in sort of in the open source community, um, mm -hmm. I think is an important part of, of that to uh, have some initial successes with projects like Baseline, right? Um, <clears throat> and, and OCA, for instance, you know, again, two good examples, uh, I think that will help to, you know, establish Oasis as a, an effective place to host open source projects that, intend to have, you know, some measure of, 
success and 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 long-term interoperability. I think um, I think that's probably one effective way. Um, again, getting out the word. You know, you 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 mentioned early on that you know some in the open source community effectively sort of look down their nose at at, at standards because again they think they take too long and so forth. And while there's a certain truth in that. But there's a there is a value in in those longer term you know uh, standards and you know having an open source you know the other the other piece of it is that is interesting is that there is always an opportunity with an open source project to basically take those APIs and you know hollow out the inside and put together a more performant or whatever implementation write it in a different language or what have you. Um, and, and that's where then, you know, it comes a need to actually have something that formalizes and says, this is the formal API that you need to, uh, to adhere to that allows for the market to actually innovate sort of behind the curtain, if you will, right. um, uh, in an, in, in, uh, of, of an open standard. And so, um, you know, again, I, I tend to think that, <clears throat> you know, uh, over time, you know, communities, as they mature, they get to the point where they're doing the certification, they're doing essentially standardization work. Uh, they just don't call it that, right? right. <laughs> and, and, and I think, you know, getting that and then taking, you know, those initiatives like they're working on in Kubernetes, for instance, um, and, and taking it to the next level of elevating that as a, a pause submission to JTC one, for instance, I think would be a positive thing. Right. And, you know, it's interesting. I, I sort of mentioned um, that you mentioned a customer focus, but I think it's really important. Uh, and I saw this in my experience uh, it, with the U S department of defense consulting, where standards were kind of the, the tech box or the preferred mechanism and, and governments right. especially are, are big on this. And so I look at this also as, you know, if you, if you, it's great to have an international standard for all the reasons you mentioned, but it's also, I think, in, in a little bit of an easier entree into some of these really um, <clears throat> highly regulated procurement pipelines, which, yes. you know, I'm all for, for as an open source person, let's get more open source into government. I mean, it's been, there's been a lot of work that's happened since we did the Forge.mil right. effort and DOD, a lot of work, which has been great, but I'd like to see even more in there. And so I also see standards as a way to, to kind of get into those pipelines that maybe traditionally yeah. have been a little bit harder for open yeah. source. But I, I also think though that some are also looking at open source and figure, trying to figure out how do we make that more of a formal, um, a formally accepted thing, the way that you, you, know, you have with standards being sort of a checkbox, making right. it acceptable to have open source um, in, in, in the mix, if you will, but then there has to be some criteria, right? Because again, there's open source and then there's open source, right? I like to say, you know, that a majority of the open source you find out on GitHub is the equivalent of furniture left by the side of the road, right? Where somebody has <laughs> published something into a Git repo and <laughs> that's the end of that, right? Oh, yeah. Um, <laughs> and uh, you know, is a big thing. <laughs> and yes, you, you, you need to have, you know, a nice diverse community that's active and, you know, taking a look at pull requests and issues and, dealing with vulnerabilities and backporting fixes and so forth. Uh, you want to ha have communities like that, but they're not all, you know, not all open source projects are like that at all. And so there needs to be some means of both measuring that. Um, but I keep in, in, you know, encouraging, um, you know, even, well, enterprise certainly, but also governments and, and sort of uh, government agencies to get more involved in open source, mm -hmm. right? You know, yeah. there's no reason whatsoever that, you know, the EU or the DOD or, you know, the U.S. government 
shouldn't be directly involved in the projects that they may be taking on um, strategically within, you know, their own, um, if you will, enterprise. And, um, right. <clears throat> uh, and, and again, I think it's through that type of, and again, participation doesn't mean you're contributing code. So it could be documentation. It could just be participation in, you know, sort of the development of new features and so forth. Um, and, 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 you know, it, providing requirements and, and the like. Um, but being involved also means that you have certain influence in the direction that things are going. And if you think this needs the maturity of the equivalent of a standard by developing a TCK or some sort of a certification uh, uh, program around the, the, uh, the, the, the open source itself, uh, that is likely to come from, again, from the community of use that's looking for the stability of something like uh, a certification program. Right. I mean, and it's, it's really interesting. You mentioned that because I think you, you've probably seen, um, you know, uh, our, our colleague, Jacob Green from Moss Labs is helping really start this, this notion of, of OSPOs or open source program offices, which traditionally yeah. have been, and I've run a couple of these in, 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 uh, in industry, but putting in OSPOs in governments so that they can have that yeah. place to have that kind of engagement. What do you, what do you think about that? I think I think it's fundamentally important. It's another thing that I go and I, you know, when I talk with clients um, and with government uh, agencies and the like, that I encourage it. And you know, uh, it's important first to understand what it is that you're dealing with, right? I mean, uh, you can't just sort of turn the spigot on and say, "Oh, go do open source," and you know, enterprise, exactly. you know, and then you find out <laughs> that you're, you know, you're in you're in deep. Uh, deep trouble, you know, because you, um, you know, you adopted some project that has, uh, you know, no community behind it, you know, yeah. you know, so the software is full of bugs and vulnerabilities and nobody's around to fix it. And yet it's the card and soul of something you've deployed in your enterprise. Right. That's not a good thing. No. So, you no. know, putting together an open source program office that both manages the sort of the consumption or the ingress, if you will, of open source especially when it's going to be strategic. If it's going to be around for a long time, you know, if we're going to build all of our, uh, you know, user interfaces out of Angular, we should take a close look at that, right? Make sure that it's got a, a, good idea. a good community behind it. Um, you know, if we're going to do all of our containers using Kubernetes, then we should take a close look at that. Um, <clears throat> and then the other thing is to basically to encourage the sort of the virtuous cycle of contribution back into the open source communities themselves. Uh, and program offices uh, are, are typically very effective at, at doing that if they're set up correctly. Um, but it's, it's, it's important because again, <clears throat> you, know, with, uh, you know, we had the, the solar winds attack you know, recently on the supply chain and the open source security uh, uh, supply chain, if you would, the, the, the security I should say of the open source supply chain is something that we all have to be mindful of. And again, an OSPO is in a, Good position to both, you know, be monitoring and understanding what we have in our enterprise, and then when somebody does publish a solar winds kind of a, you know, a, a vulnerability, you know, we can you can address it immediately versus running around saying, "Do we have any of that in our enterprise?" You know, that's exactly. you know, <laughs> trying to sweep up after that problem, you know, uh, after it's been known, and 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 spending the time to try and understand what you have is a little bit too late, really. 
Right. Well, I mean, and that you talk about that as it relates to standards, right? I mean, the great work going on at NTIA, uh, you know, our friend Alan Friedman doing the work with SBOM, Software Bill of Materials, yep. which yep. is also working with the CSAF uh, standard that Oasis is building. Um, so finding, not, not having to go find those things, but just knowing, right? Kind of yeah. as a software hy hygiene perspective, knowing what's in yeah. all of your code, whether it's proprietary or open source, right. I think is really, really important. And I think we're starting to see you know, it's been, this has been coming along for a while. SolarWinds, I think, was a little bit of the straw, maybe that broke that camel's back a little bit so that people yeah. are going, yeah, we really need to know what's in all of our software and we need a standard to, to actually know how to find that stuff. Yep. Yep. Absolutely. Uh, cool. So it looks like we're coming up here on time. So I know we have um, probably some questions from the audience. There's one for sure here in the uh, in the panel that I wanted to cover, or sorry, in the chat that I wanted to cover. Um, it says interfaces to open source are the aspect that needs to be standardized and you want implementations to evolve, which you talked about, Chris, but you need the interfaces not to degrade. So do you want to kind of cover how you think that we keep the interfaces from degrading? Oh, you mean over time uh, having yeah. the interfaces change once they've been so? <clears throat> right. Again, this is where again it takes a certain maturity to sort of go at the continuous evolution of a project, but with you know sort of a I don't know I like to call it an enterprise mindset, understanding that your users aren't necessarily going to be able to continually uh, upgrade, right? Even though right. that's what you might like them to do. And so, you know, having projects that uh, adopt sort of a long-term support strategy for a particular release or releases, mm -hmm. I think is an important piece of it. And again, if we if we did have a standard, then you would you would hope, or I would hope, that that would be sort of pinned to a long-term support release of the software that uh, conforms to that standard, um, and that allows you to evolve beyond that. But again, then you have to be thinking about. How am I going to get the people that are on version two up to version three when you know the time comes? Right. And is right. there a path, or do they have to blow it all up and and you know re-implement? Uh, yeah, ideally, exactly. again, with sort of like you said, with sort of that enterprise mindset in in place. Um, uh, again, if you get to the maturity where you're issuing a standard on your a APIs, then hopefully you're also at a maturity level where if you are going to have upgrades, they can be rolling upgrades that are facilitated with some sort of a conversion um, uh, process that doesn't require that you burn it all down and, and, uh, and bring it back up. Right. That, and, and that kind of backward forward compatibility that you mentioned earlier is really important in that, in that yeah. space. Uh, so, Dee, do we have any questions from the audience other than the one I just read? Okay, so um, we did get a couple more. The first one is a successful standard is a standard that gets widely adopted. Is a better approach to establishing standards to allow survival of the fittest of open source implementations to see which rise to the top, such as JSON and REST, and then establish standards around them? Ooh, good question. Yes. Chris. Yeah. Chris says yes. Yes to all of the above. Yes Go ahead, Chris. I'll let you take that one. <laughs> yeah, I mean, my, my, my take is that, um, you know, sometimes uh, we would develop standards with the belief that, you know, if you build it, they will come kind of a thing, right? And then they don't come, right? And then you can get, you can get the situation where those that are 
having to sponsor the development of those standards get skittish and say, well, the last time we did that, it didn't pay out and there was no implementation. Um, and so, <clears throat> again, this is another aspect where you can actually get the implementation, get the, you know, the, the market momentum and then say, okay, now I'm going to do the investment that says I'm going to turn this into a, a formal uh, standard by, again, developing the TCK and, um, you know, putting it together in, in such a way that we can uh, ensure interoperability over time. Um, but I wouldn't invest in that early if I didn't think that it was going to be success. Um, that, that's I mean, my take, so... Yeah, I mean it's interesting too, right? If you if you think about you know how how forks happen in open source, right? I think part of that question is: Are we getting to a point where we may have to fork the standard, right? Which which basically, I think it's a lot more difficult to do that than it is in the open source world, um, mm -hmm. because you've got a lot more uh, things that are potentially relying on that for sort of long term interoperability. Yeah. Uh, okay, so great. We, uh, so we, ahead, we do have time for one more question. And this is kind of skin in the cap from the other direction, but very interesting. If standard uses the same tools and release pacing as traditional open source, why can't they be as agile and up to date with continuous improvements? Now, I think you, you mentioned a little bit about this, Chris. I'm curious, right. yeah, how you how you deal with kind of taking the best of open source and, and getting the standards folks to adopt some of those practices. That's a good question. Um, I tend to, and it was funny, um, I noticed uh, a notice go out the other day from <laughs> a blast from the past for me from the EBXML uh, messaging work oh group, <laughs> <laughs> which I chaired way, way back in the day when Oasis and uh, <clears throat> the UN uh, were collaborating on EBXML. Yeah. And uh, <laughs> And I was just thinking to myself, oh my God, and actually Arno uh, Lahore, who I'm sure you all know, um, <laughs> coming to me says, oh my God, it's still going. <laughs> and um, anyway, so that is just sort of the, you know, the blast from the past, but um, <clears throat> obviously it has evolved over time. I think, you know, again, sometimes I find, and again, some may, you know, dig me for this, but I do tend to find that some things just become a career right? And I'm not sure exactly how much EBXML messaging is going on still um, uh, in this day and age, but, you know, nonetheless, there is still standards work going on. So it's one of the things that I look out, you know, amongst the, the folk that I uh, manage that are working and engaged in standards is make sure that we aren't uh, sort of, uh, you know, we aren't letting them sort of fall into the trap of just sort of having the, the evolution of the standard become a, a career, um, even though there's not really a lot of interest in, uh, in, in moving any implementations forward to new versions. So, so I do think that that's an important thing to, uh, to take into consideration. Um, in terms of the evolution aspect of things, <clears throat> again, it's, it's when you anoint something as a standard that I think is the, 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 the critical piece of things. Um, if you allow something to iterate as an implementation in the market and get the adoption first and then say, okay, now we're ready to call that a standard so that it can be even more broadly adopted. I think that's a, a better approach. Right, yeah, no, that, that makes complete sense. So 
Uh, unfortunately, I, we're out of time, Chris, but, um, you know, thanks. It's great to have you join me, give your perspective yeah, as someone fun. who's kind of had to navigate the waters of both open source and open standards in your career. So thanks a lot for joining us. Yeah, my pleasure. A lot of fun. Awesome. Great job. Thank you. So if you want to learn more about this or other topics, uh, you can come find us at oasis-open.org. And let's definitely continue this conversation on Twitter. Our handle is at Oasis Open. Until next time. Thanks for listening, everybody.